Main Street to Wall Street. Global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Everyone wants to get paid, but nobody wants to talk about it. From headlines about the decline of the middle class and stagnant wages, money is on everyone's mind. Today's guest, David Buckmaster, is an expert on wages. David has used his talents at companies like Nike and Starbucks and Yum! Brands. David's new book, Fair Play, How to Get a Raise, Close the Wage Gap, and Build Stronger Businesses comes out very soon. And in the book, he gives readers a look at how salaries work and how we can make them better. David, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. It's good to have you here. And, you know, even if you're the CEO of the company, you got to go and negotiate your wages. So I think this is great. You know, in in light of the book, you open with a fight for 15 protests mm-hmm. outside of Starbucks headquarters way back in 2014. It's hard to believe we say that way back, right? But here we are six years later, so almost seven years later, Starbucks is raising the minimum wages to $15 an hour. Is a socially forward company like Starbucks falling behind? Are they falling behind? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. So let me say... Um... 15, in, uh, to give it a little bit of context on the kind of work that I do, because our jobs uh, as compensation professionals are typically hidden away, tucked away in a small corner of the HR department. Most people don't know we exist, right? But most big companies have groups of people like me and people like what I do for a living. And all we do is look at market trends and what other companies are doing and making sure that we're paying fairly competitively and equitably. Part of the reason I wrote this book is that uh, just to explain how that works and show how most companies are looking at this in the exact same ways, right? Same data, same calendars, all of that stuff. I think, um, you know, Starbucks approach, and again, it's been a while since I've been there, right? But the, uh, you know, their mentality has typically been, uh, you know, let's pay competitively, which is what everybody wants to do, but then let's leverage some unique benefits, right? So Starbucks, uh, every employee gets stock, they have health insurance that goes much further down in the organization. There are things that you can do at Starbucks that, other uh, retailers, restaurants, that kind of thing, just they haven't historically touched. So Starbucks is coming in with a, um, you know, kind of this legacy of treating their people really well. Now, the $15 an hour question is a unique one, because while we see it in headlines in a few places, you know, Target's been there, clearly Amazon has been there. um, It really is not yet like the market rate for most companies. When they look at this, um, there might be, you know, in the single digits of companies that have said, let's go to 15 right now. So you have to try and balance those things. If you're seeing about it, if you're saying 15 or any wage headline in the newspapers and online or whatever, just know that it's only there because it's newsworthy, right? If everybody was doing it, it wouldn't have generated a headline in the first place. Uh, so I don't think Starbucks is falling behind. I still think it's a fantastic place to work. I have friends on that team. Uh, but the point of this book is to say this entire ecosystem, how we're all looking about it, really needs to shift um, in a pretty fundamental way to make sure that we, as a society, aren't letting that entire group of employer employment uh, uh, labor uh, participants just fall behind too far, right? Because it's becoming a huge problem. So what do you mean it has to shift? Shift how? 
Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, historically, like let's maybe use Walmart as an example, right? So Walmart historically has not necessarily been known as a company that, you know, is super progressive, looking at wages, looking at benefits, all of those things. You know, if you go back 10, 15 years, kind of the poster boy for, you know, low wage that didn't work, right? Some of the shifts that Walmart has made in the last few years, you know, uh, shifting intentionally into more full-time employment, higher wages, that means more benefits, uh, all of those kinds of things. I think there is a realization that uh, the um, this idea of the minimum wage worker as being a you know just a teenager at home in the summer working at the soda fountain, they're eighteen. That's not that's not what the data says, right? You know these uh, retail uh, uh, or restaurant workers, hotel cleaners, whatever it needs to be, like typically late twenties and their thirties. A third of them have kids. Yeah. Some of them, if you haven't made the right choices in your career, your education, like by the time you hit age 20, 21, 22, like you're kind of cut off from the traditional hierarchy of employment growth because of the credentials that you need to, uh, you know, to bridge those gaps. Right. Uh, so what they've said is, hey, this is just a um, companies like Walmart and some others have said we need to recognize this is a more or less a fixed pool of talent. And what we want is we want to create good jobs, which means if they are paid well, they relieve some of that anxiety that they feel. They're going to treat our customers better. If our customers are treated better, they spend more. They spend more. Everybody does better, right? So that's kind of what I'm thinking. Companies that understand that entire shift are going to do better in the long run. They are low low wage job. Low wages over. I mean, they can't be over because you, you there is always this the segment of the population that just fills those jobs, whatever those are. But, you know, after we've come out of COVID, you see all this competitiveness for yeah. people for jobs. And, you know, that's why your role inside of Nike or other companies is so important. We used to have that at Kodak, too, because we're competing for those same people in company to company. So we've got to be very competitive. But our low wages over. I think it all depends what we define as low, right? You know, yeah. when we say when we say living wage, right? This is a this very nebulous concept, and I think you know the uh, traditional way of looking at living wage in the U.S. is MIT has this living wage calculator, and depending on how you toggle the family size, these numbers can be all over the place. It can be like if you take where I'm from in Portland, Oregon, it can range everywhere from 14 to 30 bucks an hour, depending on uh, your family situation, right? And companies don't tend to set their wages that way. They don't. They don't want to get into your personal lifestyle choices, your family size, all of that. They want to focus it on the job. But I do, I don't like to your point, there's always going to be a an entry-level band in the economy. And that's important. You need people to be able to get their first job, but you also need to allow them to grow. Right. So you need to create those opportunities for them to continue with the company and to uh, you know grow over time. What I think is so interesting about this time is at least for the First time in my career, and I'm I'm 35, so I don't have this massive history to look back at. For the first time in my career, there's like real competition. Um, and one of my uh, conclusions in the book is we need to create the kind of economy that actually creates more competition. You know, so I think when you hear someone like me saying, uh, "Well, we just need to increase wages," you know, I think some people's mind might shift into the, "Well, let's just fix it legislatively or whatever." What I think is actually that's probably part of the issue, but I think was also going on is that there just isn't enough competition for these for low wage work, right? So um, whether it's because of lack of transparency or the fact that some of these, you know, if you're a franchise organization, you might actually be like if you walk into the food court, like half the restaurants might actually be owned by the same franchisors. So they're not competing against each other. There's just not enough structural competition in the economy. When you do that, I think in the same way that employers have to compete or uh, have to compete for customers, they should also be competing for employees. We see this certainly as a CMO, 
Well, you're seeing that now across yeah, the band. Yeah, I mean, every, I mean, talent's the number one thing on every every C level executive's minds. How to get great talent? And we're competing against people because they can go and get jobs. They're just they're, these these wages are rising. Hey, yeah. let me take a quick let me take a quick break. We'll come right back because I, I I you know in order to pay wages, I gotta I gotta get the income. So I need to talk to my sponsors. We'll be right back after this message. C Suite Radio. I'm talking with David Buck, uh, David Buckmaster. He is the author of the brand new book, Fair Play, How to Get a Raise, Close the Wage Gap, and Build Stronger Businesses. Now, before the break, we were talking about that entry-level band. I like the way you described that as a band. And I, we got to make sure that the entry-level band isn't the sustainable, you know, that is the band that we kind of settle on. And I think we did that for a number of years in the you know, in the workplace where that became kind of like the standard for a lot of different jobs. But I think as we come out of COVID, that's, I, I really truly believe no one's going to put up with that anymore. I think that's right. And I don't know if you, if you like me, you've seen a bunch of videos where people are starting to go back into restaurants, going to airports or whatever. And just like people need to learn how to be human again, a little bit. Right. So they're treating, yeah. you know, their waiters or whatever, in just really terrible ways. And to your point, people have enough, whether, uh, you know, unemployment cushion or enough options in the uh, competitive marketplace now where they can say, you know what, I'm just not going to put up with this anymore. And I think that overall that will enforce employers to get a lot better, a lot more thoughtful about these jobs. How do we design them to be really good jobs where, uh, you know, we support them, they are paid competitively, they're, uh, you know, they have benefits, all of those kinds of things. I think the other thing that's happening is industries are converging in really interesting ways, right? If you are, if you work in a, um, you know, in a restaurant or a retail store, uh, it didn't used to be that you go, you'd also consider, you know, driving Uber or working in an Amazon distribution center. But now all of those things are coming together and forcing more competition into the system. And I think overall, that's really healthy. Again, I think- Well, but at, at the same time- Yeah, go ahead. David, at the same time, I mean, what's happening is you, like with Uber right now, if you're back and traveling, and I am doing that, and by the way, I've always been one of those big tippers, like 20% or greater, because I listen, especially during COVID, I would give the waiters and waitresses extra because, I mean, they were doing stuff that most people weren't doing. They, they, mm-hmm. You got to think of them as first responders. But here's my point. The wa- labor shortage is actually causing us a rise in all prices. Like, let's take Uber drivers. There's great demand for Uber drivers right now. They can't get them. So the prices are going up for those rides. So mm-hmm. let me ask a question about traditional low-wage jobs, right? Now, there's been discussion that if you raise those low-wage jobs, it's really going to hurt small business. Yeah. That if you, you know, that's, that's one of the big arguments you hear. I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, what do you, what do you have to say? You're the, you're the comp expert. So it's an important argument. And I think my general perception on this is we should have an economy that skews toward entrepreneurship, right? Big businesses have the ability to have more margin. They can, they can shelter some of these things. And I think big business needs to move first, right? So like when you talk about minimum wage laws or whatever, there typically are carve outs for small businesses under a certain size. Like we can control for all of that. I think that's okay. You know, I think the uh, the idea that minimum, uh, minimum, whether it's minimum wage or wage investments generally are going to just totally flatten prices or destroy prices. Like, I think that is kind of misguided fear mongering to an extent, right? You know, there is... I know the numbers, right? You know, I've worked at all the big fast food chains, you know, big retailers. Like I know for certain, like if you say your retail population or your restaurant population might be 70, 80% of your people, you know, they might only be 15, 20% of your payroll, right? So if you're talking about giving them a huge pay increase, like let's say 10, 20, 30%, like on a weighted average basis, that's not that much money, right? And uh, and, and into the overall grand scheme of things, you know, and I think people will start layering on all the, well, 
you know, we can give them, you know, a wage increase, but you've spent a hundred X on share repurchases or on dividends or, uh, you know, the CEO or, or, the, I mean, C- like- or the CEO salary. I mean, yeah, exactly, right, there's, right. there's a huge gap between that in some places. And I think that's wrong. Yeah. Hey, I want to, I want to shift, shift off the low stuff and get right sure. into some bigger stuff. And mm-hmm. I, since you help companies come up with compensation plans, what don't we understand about pay? What's the one thing that you would say, hey, look, Mr. CEO, Mr. Owner of the business, Mr. Miss or Ms. in the C-suite, this is what you don't get about pay. And you had a chance to speak to the C-suite. What would that be? I would say this is all more coordinated and uh, rigorous than most people realize. Uh, so the the people who do compensation for a living, we're pretty small there's not that many of us, right? We see we see each other at the same conferences. We we are more or less on a personal basis with each other. And I don't mean that in the sense that it's a collusive practice, but in, in any regard, but we all kind of think about this in the same way. However, we have this black box that we tie around our work where uh, most people on the outside, whether you're in the CMO chair or whether you're the uh, you know the hourly worker at the restaurant, you just don't really know how it's working. So I would love to give people some assurance that Yes, this is more rigorous. Yes, we can fix these issues very quickly. And if my industry, I, I put the ball uh, to my industry to get a lot more transparent because once we do, uh, like I think, I don't think it benefits any company to spend a lot of their time arguing about pay. I think you need to solve that quickly and then focus on the things that actually add value to your business, right? Like uh, pay is one of those things that you can kind of tick off, make sure people are feeling good about uh, the number, about the process that went into it about how they're paid relative to other people. And then you can start talking about how do you serve your customers? How do you uh, actually grow your business? The things that matter a lot more, I shouldn't be front and center. It should be, you know, uh, people who are actually serving your customers, right? Well, let me ask you this question. The book is called Fair Pay. So how would you define the fair and fair pay? So fair is um, a very loaded word, right? And it's provocative. And I think people layer all sorts of things around their, uh, even even their political preferences on top of that, right? But I wanted to try and redeem this word a little bit just to say, I think we'll say, is my, am I paid fairly? I think essentially what they're saying is, am I paid enough? And I view that around two different respects. So one is the absolute value of pay. Am I, you know, competitive for my job? Is it enough to cover my essential living, that kind of thing. But then I think the much harder one is around relative pay. You know, is there a gender wage gap relative, uh, you know, to the man doing the same job? Is there, uh, you know, am I paid at, you know, rel- uh, at the same level relative to people in another company? So it's the absolute number and the relative value. And that one, but I think ultimately when people talk about fair, it's, it really comes back to this, am I paid enough question. Oh, that's a great, a great answer. And speaking of great answers, I want to get out to these sponsors. We'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, everybody, we're back and we're live casting right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as I bring you all business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio. Of course, talking with David Buckmaster. Now, he is the author of Fair Pay, How to Get a Raise, Close the Wage Gap, and Build Stronger Businesses. And you can do that by building great talent. I know that's the number one thing that I hear from CEOs all the time on the show is always about talent, talent management. Of course, uh, compensation is a big part of that. Now, David, I have to ask you something. Your last name is Buckmaster. I mean, seriously, did you change your name in order to get into compensation or what? You know what it is? It, there's a very narrow path to redemption for this last name, but I think I found it. What I wish I could do is take a time machine and go back to like first day of school and elementary school when everybody made fun of it and the roll call. Uh, but yeah. no, I found, I found my path and I guess I was meant to do this, right? But it's one of those things that 
I ask everybody who does this work how you got into it. And none of yeah. us got into it on purpose. You know, you don't know this field exists. Like you're either yeah. in finance and you find you're good with people, you're in like HR and you find you're good with numbers. So it's usually one of those two pathways in. Uh, but yeah, I, th- this is, this one comes up a lot. It's, yeah, I, I will say when I was, um, I was at a company and we had uh, somebody whose last name was Pay. There was Buckmaster. And uh, oh gosh, there was one more. Uh, and I'm sorry, I'm blanking on it now, but there was another like uh, pay related name on the team. Yeah. Uh, Maybe easy pay- money. Could have been easy money or something. But with your yeah. last name, you can either, you should be in compensation without question. There's certainly finance and HR. I think that's important. Or you could host your own hunting show. Either way. I get that a lot. The other side. I grew up in Florida, right? And so hunting is, is pretty big there. And sure. uh, I, I always felt bad. It's like, uh, you know, because there's like a Buckmaster hunting club, there's all sorts of stuff, but I have no connection yep. to it. So people, I yeah. see people get their their hopes up and I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't like, it's, it's not me. I, yeah, they're not, hoping they're hoping yeah. they're going to get a free subscription yeah. or, or something. Maybe, in the mail. Yeah. Yeah. I have to tell them I'm a bad, I'm a bad shot. So um, <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you this question. What is the, what is the fair pay mix? Because you talk about that in the book as well. And I'd really like to get that get that defined. So the book is broken up into two halves. The first half is just pay as it is. So it's how do companies think about pay? So all that rigor that I talked about, what's kind of the standard process, myth busting, all of that stuff. The back half is uh, pay as it could be. And this is where I talk about a different model. And I think as a uh, former marketing exec, you'll appreciate this. So I built it off the marketing mix, which is, you know, the first thing that you learn right. in business school day one, you know, product, price, place, promotion. I the kinda, four P's, the four, the four P's, P's. It's the four standard, P's, right? right? And so um, my understanding of the history of that is that was uh, a model that academics used to try and help practitioners understand that you had to move marketing away from isolated, siloed activities into more of an integrated experience for the customer. Right? So I am trying to apply that framework to pay because right now there's a lot of academics uh, side to it, but then there's the, how does it show up on people's paycheck? So I've, t- I've given it my own four piece to say, uh, you know, how can we solve for priority, permission, process, and power? And I think um, how that shows up across um, executives is going to be very different than how it shows up across low-wage workers. But if you can solve for all four of those things, then the experience tends to be that wages grow uh, the people understand the process by which they, uh, you know, um, are paid and how the number comes to be, and they feel a lot better about it. There's this ridiculous stat, you know, I, I think a pay scale, a, comp, a research firm that talks about something like one in five people believe they're paid fairly. And when you talk about managers, it's two in five believe that they're paying people fairly, right? So like we would not tolerate these kinds of results to our customers. We wouldn't say, we're happy that four or five, four out of our five customers feel like they're getting swindled. Like that just wouldn't work. So why would we tolerate that for our employees, right? So like, this is where I'm trying to bridge those gaps to try and create the language that uh, helps us say, we actually have to deliver some sort of promise or set of principles back out to the employees to help fix these results. Well, that's a great lead into this next question, because we often think about pay and supply and demand context, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a skill that's in demand, you get better wages. You say in the book that that's a problem. And why do you say that? Well, I I say, I don't don't know if it's, don't know if I say it's a problem necessarily. What I say is, is there's supply and demand and a lot of other things that kind of get in the way. And you can say that uh, supply and demand if you know, if it was a, a perfectly balanced, you know, economy where everybody kind of had 
uh, equivalent power dynamics to go solve their own pay problems, then supply and demand would be, you know, be amazing, right? You know, and I talk about uh, the example I use, it, it's not as simple as like, let me go buy blueberries in the winter where I accept, expect the prices to go up because they had to be getting shipped over from the alternate hemisphere, right? People are a lot more complex. When you lay, uh, layer in the labor model work, you have to understand that, you know, people aren't as transferable as that blueberry. You know, they're not going to take that pay cut and go on sale every summer. There's a lot of noise that gets in the way of the supply and demand, demand dynamic. The other part of it is supply and demand isn't a one-way street, right? If I'm the only one as the, as the employer who knows the data, uh, I'm starting with a much an enormous advantage relative to the employee who has to, you know, Google what, you know, accounting manager Oakland, right? Like uh, I have, I have a lot more tools. You have a lot more tools. If you're, yeah, if you're my right. comp manager, you're giving me an arsenal of data that I know this is the range, the experience levels. It, you might even factor in some age, some other things you could do with that. Maybe you're not supposed to do that, but yeah, you could certainly not, figure not a lot of yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. I, let's use let's still use age. Let's use use the word experience. How's that? We we'll use that's the usually word. how it works, right? Yeah, you know, after after forty, you know, you start getting some, you know, legal. But yeah. typically, yeah, you know, uh, experience is a proxy for age. At least it should be, yeah. you know, in, in most respects. But yeah, so I would say supply and demand is fantastic if we can make it happen. Uh, but that will require a lot more transparency, so people can actually have, you know, uh, understand the price of their labor and then go shop for it somewhere else. So let me ask a question: If I'm an employee, how do I get a better wage? This is a highly context dependent uh, thing. So like if you are, let's say you are a software engineer and you know you're in high demand and you're very good at your job, you are not going to have that much trouble, right? Um, right. Uh, if your uh, resume could be pretty strong, uh, you can, you know, you can always take the nuclear option and show the outside offer uh, to the, uh, you know, to your current employer. That is a hard, that is a hard play and you better be ready to take that job because your employer is probably going to view that as a betrayal to some extent. Yeah. Um, now, if, you, if you're kind of... Or, or get ready to walk because exactly, that's, yeah, you have that's to be the, the alternative, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. But if you're kind of, uh, you know, normal worker, you know, office, let's just take office workers, you know, I think the right way to do it is trying to depersonalize it as much as you can, you know, because you're manager to some extent has to go to bat for you. You know, they, they probably don't have unilateral authority to increase your pay. They're going to have to go share that story up the chain. You have to get budgets, go through, you know, forms and checklists, all of that fun bureaucracy, you know, corporate stuff, right? So your case to make to get more pay has to be extremely simple. And the best way to do is one, depersonalize it uh, and focus it on uh, the processes of your current employer to say, well, here's what I think I should be paid. You know, I've been here a while. I'm falling behind in our own in our own way of operating. So I'm I'm really low in our range, but I'm performing really well. To try and show that gap, and what I would say is also when you do it, go big. You know, like your employer is less likely to take it uh, with any sense of urgency if you say, well, I feel like I'm underpaid three percent. They'd be like, all right, you're you're not going to leave for three percent because of all the switching costs involved. But if you can show I'm underpaid twenty percent and Here's why, according to our own philosophy, our own practices, um, you know, can we come up with a six month, 18 month plan to try and address that? Now, what your employer is yeah. probably going to do is say, oh, wow, you're right. You know, you've fallen behind. You, you've made the case quite clearly. Let's also talk about your career. So leading it with a career conversation and say, well, when you get to this step, we would expect this set of behaviors, this set of uh, deliverables, that kind of thing. So layering it all together is uh, really in a cohesive way is how you make that case versus just saying, I Googled some stuff and I feel like I'm underpaid. Like that's not going to work, right? So you that's have to work sharper than that. Hey, in 30 seconds, I want to add just in 30 seconds, all we got left as an employer, how do I make sure I'm not overpaying? Yeah. yeah the overpaying piece is hard, right? Um, uh, so 
I would say this is why companies participate in salary surveys, you know, um, yeah. and uh, salary surveys, the standard market practice for this is that black box stuff that my, my team has access to that nobody else does. This is the kind of thing that you might be perfectly willing to overpay for somebody who is an extraordinarily gifted individual. Uh, but for most people, you know, we are accountable, not just to the employees, but to our finance teams, our accountants and all of that too. Um, that is uh, the kind of thing that's probably gonna have to remain in the black box for a while uh, because you never wanna you never want to have that story to the employee say, we feel like you're overpaid, right? Like that's not, that's not where you wanna be. But that, that's where the annual cycles come in. Hey, data, data, data. That's what you wanna be able to know. Thanks, David. We're visiting with David Buckmaster, Fair pay, how to get a raise, close the wage gap, and build stronger businesses. Thanks for being on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what did I learn? Hey, first of all, what a great name, Buckmaster, and you're in money and you're in compensation. I thought that was really cool. I, it's just, I just think it's fantastic when people's names match their, their, uh, their occupation. But I'll tell you the thing that I learned, data, data data, right? If you're going to, if you're going to hire someone, or if you're going to go for a raise, you better make the case, but you got to have the information. Don't live in hope that you're going to get the raise. If you're going to go plead your case, if you're going to plead your case, practice it a little bit. I said that in my first book, the mirror test, stand in front of the mirror a little bit, ask yourself some key questions and make the story, but you got to have the data. Know what your worth is by knowing what the data says. And then, by the way, if you're sitting on the other side of the table, you're negotiating, hey, you want to know, you want to have somebody like a David you want to have an industry study. You want to get together with other people in the C-suite and find out what's going on in your community and your jobs, your industry. And then are you being competitive? And that's really what you got to do. And so with that, you got to have the data. That's my answer today. That's what I learned. I thank you so much for joining us on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio. And don't forget, tell your friends. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.